Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast? Can you survive this motherfucking podcast? So much fun. Don't you agree? I know all five of you listening love this shit. But uh, today we have a special guest, someone I've wanted to have on here for quite some time now, and it's finally happened. I've been on his show a couple of times. He's the host of the Protectors podcast. He's a 20-year law enforcement officer and the author of books such as Unwavering and Out of the Shadows. I want to welcome my buddy, Dr. Jason. How's it going, buddy? How you doing? Good, man. Doctor. Every time I hear that doctor, thing, I'm like, who the hell is this guy, man? I'm like, I'm a yeah. kid that failed out of high school. Well, I didn't fail out of high school. I did fail out of community college, though. What's up, County College Morris? Hua. Hey, you know, it's education. It's education these days. And like I tell my daughter, what you put in is what you get out of it. And it doesn't matter what it says at the top of the diploma, right? Nope. You work your ass off, man. You get it's it's all proportional. You have to work hard if you want all those good things in life. No doubt about it. Well, law enforcement, same way. Seventy one badge and a gun. Doesn't matter if you're the honor grad or any other yeah. bullshit. You know. Well, that goes back to doctor, right? The last yeah. the last person in the graduating class of an MD is still still called doctor, right? Exactly. Unfortunately, we go to these folks and you don't know, hey, which where, where'd you rank when you graduated? <laughs> you, they should really have that on there. Like, you know, whenever you look for a doctor nowadays, you got to look online. You got to find if they're taking patients right on there. I should say, OK, they're taking patients because they are the bottom of their class. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've always said, too, that healthcare should be all put into an Amazon type site where there is ratings, reviews, all consolidated to one spot, right? And so that you can just pick the right doctor with the five stars and not be playing guessing games all the time. Um, especially for me, I'm a retired military guy with TRICARE and TRICARE subcontracted for my region to Humana. So I got lucky because Humana is a great company and they take care of you, but not everyone gets that, you know, and it's a crapshoot on what kind of doctor you're getting. Um, anyway, we've already started off on a big fucking tangent. So, boom, yeah, let's get to your rapid fire. Are you ready for this? I huh? am ready. Okay, here we go. Putin or Jinping? Oof. 
Putin. <laughs> Putin. Oh, democracy or capitalism? Capitalism. Yeah. Yeah. I figured you'd say that. Uh, wildfire or a hurricane? I'll go with hurricane. Hurricane. I like that. Are you a truck guy or are you a supercar guy? Ooh, that's tough because I got a Jeep, but I race cars on the side. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with hot cars, man. Hot, hot cars. All right. Like so hot, that's a, fast. Yeah, fast. Speed. Okay, sports. Good. I like it. Um, do you want to create or destroy? Create. Create. Uh, you want to be the hammer or you want to be the nail? I'll be the hammer. <laughs> I'll be the hammer. Yeah, of course. Uh, do you want to shave it or do you want to let it grow? Ooh, I'm gonna let it grow. Which part of your body? You know, it's the seventies. It's coming back. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yep, that's what I thought. TMI, okay. TMI. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, you know, do you like to be in the city or on an island? Island, definitely. Island. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. Would you uh, prefer a big kick in the balls or a hundred paper cuts? Oof. Probably go with the 100 paper cuts. Yeah. Okay. We'll circle back around to that. Um, break it or fix it? Yeah, fix it. Yeah. Okay. Those are all good. I like that. Okay. Circling back to the top. Uh, yeah. It was basically Russia versus China, right? So you pick China. Or no, you pick China. No, I, I pick Russia with that Or one. you pick Russia. Sorry. I Putin. circled the wrong one. Putin. That's right. So yeah. What's your why there? I think Putin's going to die in the next three years. Boom. Yeah. Is that based on the whole like he supposedly is sick or something? I don't know. I, I just it. I don't see it. Like he I don't does, he's see it, but I just camera. have this feeling, you know? I don't know. I think he's at like a brain tumor. Something's gonna happen. Maybe something in the water, you know, maybe some of that radiology. He's always got radiation going on. <laughs> Someone's gonna slip him a pill or touch him or whatever they do. You know about that stuff. I went to the spy museum, man. It's all about Clint Emerson at the spy museum. <laughs> no, it's not. There's a little, little, little itty bitty ear thingy there, but yeah, they, and they took the best part, you know, they took the CIA came back and took my damn mask out of there. Did they, they really? They did. They took <sighs> it and they, they put it in their own museum, which is fucked up. You know, the, the inside the CIA, you've got two museums at headquarters. You, I don't know if you've been over there, but you've got, <laughs> You got one that's like, well, they used to. I haven't been in a while, but they've got the one that's kind of dedicated to modern stuff. And then they've got one that's dedicated to like the OSS days and some pretty cool artifacts, I got to say. But supposedly they yeah. took it out of there to put in their own museum, which is bullshit. Yeah, I think I was over there like right before COVID or right after COVID. And I saw yeah, your little it, mask. I was like, hey, there's a Clint Emerson. Yeah. Took some pictures of books down in the uh, the spy museum shop. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I reposted them too. I appreciate yeah. that. It was awesome. Okay. So yeah, Putin... Putin, I, yeah, I, I, he's a he's kind of a been a. I used to always say, and people have thrown it in my face. You know, Russia's always been kind of a paper mache tiger, right? Yeah, big bravado, a lot of talk, very little action. But this time, it's like, what the hell's he doing? Right? It's kind of crazy. It was random, you know, because both of us were in the nineties when we went to military, so it was always Russia, Krasnovia. In the army, yeah. we'd always fight the Krasnovians. <laughs> yeah, at a national training center, and be like, you know, hey, we're gonna fight the Russians. Or like right. the Krasnovian Russians. And yeah, you never thought they would actually do anything. Yeah. All right. It's always been, eh, they talk, talk, talk. Bravado. You know, Russians, they, they walk with their like hips forward, right? It's all about their dick, you know? But uh, yeah, interesting. Um, okay. So then we went democracy versus capitalism. You pick capitalism. 
Yeah, you definitely got to have capitalism. I mean, everybody's small business. I grew up, my dad was a, a car cleaner, you know, a professional car cleaner out of, out of high school, not even high school, he dropped out of grade school. And then yeah. him and my mom, you know, cleaning cars, cleaning cars, cleaning cars, banking the money on the side. They went and fixed up a house. Next thing you know, they're building houses and then they're building housing development. So it's capitalism. And where else in this world can you go from being a car cleaner to having like selling housing developments? Yeah. You can't. No, you can't. That's a, that's a, that's an awesome success story too. I mean, yeah. everybody I talk to these days, I mean, they're all success stories in their own right. That's kind of the cool part of all this, right? I mean, everyone, yeah. especially with the invention of social media, as evil as it is, it allows everyone to be an entrepreneur if they work it right, you know? Look at book sales. Look at the, um, what was that? What, what, what is that book I have right here? The Rugged Life. <laughs> yeah, <Where> the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Those like without, there's so many independent publishers out there and independent writers and getting these books out there and getting notoriety off of what they know and what they do. I mean, that's one, one thing good about social media. It is. And, 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 you know, talking about books, I mean, you know, my path is the very, very first book I wrote was called Escape the Wolf. And it was a little handbook I developed when I was at the NSA. I self-published it because prior to that, it was in a three-ring binder, and I used to hand it out to my students for free, right? And then one day I was like, man, i got to make this thing look and feel and smell like a real book. So I self-published it, right? And then uh, it's a long story, but anyway, yeah, I ended up getting screwed over by that guy. And, uh, and then I started actually getting published you know, by the big guys in New York, Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House. But here's the deal. For those of you aspiring to be like an, an author or you think about writing a book, like you can self-publish now. And if you've got a great following, you can like make more money off your self-published book than you would if you go sign a deal with a big publisher. But it's yeah. all about you got to have that social media piece there. But you could have never done that before. Right. Before, when I did Escape the Wolf, there was no social media. And now. I'm reintroducing it back here in October and I'll actually probably, you know, get the money back on it that I invested into it because back in the day it cost a fortune to do self-publishing, you know, but um, anyway, yeah, I think it's uh, capitalism. And I, but I always question, do you think democracy drives capitalism or capitalism dr drives democracy? You know, it does. Democracy does drive it. Yeah. You can't do this in China. You can't yeah. do this anywhere. There's a communist role. And you know, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, I want to tell people about self-publishing is now it's not just Amazon. You can self-publish and get that book in the Barnes and Noble catalog and everywhere mm -hmm. else. And, you know, all you're talking about out of pocket nowadays is get some good cover material and get someone to edit that thing and then get it ready to go for Audible yeah. and, and eBooks and stuff. But just do it. So did you self-publish or did you get oh, published man, with Unwavering or Out of the Shadows? Unwavering. I had a small time publisher, but then I yeah. found that it wasn't edited correctly. So I had to get a little battle and get that book back. Uh -huh. I got the book back. I had it edited and then I self-published it and I got into Barnes and Noble and everywhere else. The second book, it was just a little primer on the border and about yeah. the little kids coming across. And I, yeah. I did that one real quick. That was like 80, 90 pages. And I self-published that one. And that was, that was super easy to do. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, this, I'm writing another book right now, and it's going to be like, I hate this word, but self-help motivation type book. 
<laughs> and hey, those those do really well these days. I just want to, you know, I got 30 years in this game and I'm like, why don't I just tell people, you know, and then I'll use some of the interviews I've had and stuff and just get this book out there. And I'm kind of on a cuff whether I'm going to self-publish that one or if I'm going to actually query it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say the advantages and disadvantages, like advantages of being a published guy, number one, credibility, right? That means somebody in New York vetted all your crap and said, yes, we think this will do well. Right. It's kind of a great, you know, um, they got a great system up there that determines if it's going to do something right. You know, and majority of their books fall on their face anyway. It's just the way it is. Um, but I think the beauty of it in the system that I've established and figured out is like if you rotate published, self-published, published, self-published, um, you get the advantage of the publishing, which comes with marketing and a PR team to push that book. Yeah. And then you follow it with a self-published book. And then you go back to the published book, then self-published, pu- you know, you can see it. And then that way, because listeners, you you don't get, you don't make a lot of money off of a published book. I'll tell you that right now, because they give you anywhere between seven and 15% of the sales. And that's after they get their advance back, right? That you don't make a dime in royalties until they've made their money back. Uh, so there is no risk for them. Uh other than if your book never actually sells and they never make their money back. But, you know, and that's why they don't give you a whole bunch of money up front either. So anyway, just a little author lesson, you know, writing lesson there. Um, okay. We did wildfire or hurricane. You picked hurricane. Hurricane, man. I could, I could buckle down somewhere. I can go inland. And the thing about hurricanes is fire scares the shit out of me. So, and then in my past, so I was a, I was an enlisted dude. Then I became an officer later on. So I did my time. I did mm-hmm. my eight years, but then I got recalled in 05 and yeah. 05, I went to Benning. And then from Benning, they sent me to Mississippi, Camp Shelby, Mississippi in the summer of 2005. Yeah. Uh, so that was right in time for hurricane Katrina. Oh, yeah. So I was in a hurricane. I lived through a hurricane. And uh, when that. I came out, when a hurricane was over with, it looked like the end of predator. Mm. predator number one where the whole forest is just completely nuked so i'll go with the hurricane yeah so what was your what was your biggest lesson learned going through katrina anything that stands out you know don't plan on having power don't plan on having any communication and plan for the worst you know we were in those 50s barracks one next to us that was uh empty fortunately a tree fell down on that sucker a lot of these old barracks don't have locks on the doors, so you got to find ways to buckle down glass. Make sure glass is your biggest killer. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. there's different things for that, but just don't expect any comfort or any power, any anything for like 30, 40 days. Yeah. And if you're in the military, you're still going to deploy. So that's the other thing. <laughs> right, <laughs> Nothing's right. going to stop it. Yeah. Well, that, that definitely rhymes with, uh, you know, a lot of the information, as you know, I put out, tried to yeah. at least on a regular basis with the books, but yeah, I, I love li- hearing from people who've lived it and breathed it. I don't, I, heck, I mean, I haven't been, one of my properties has been through a hurricane. I hadn't been through the hurricane, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't, it was, a, it took forever to get it back up to normal too, man. Cause it's like sheetrock suddenly becomes gold, you know, it's like everyone's digging for it and can't find it. Um, yeah, I was fortunate. I was in new Orleans the week before. So I got to actually see new Orleans. I never, oh, you know, yeah. wow. I haven't been back. Yeah. That was crazy. Huh? Yeah, Who would have thought the levees, the levees were the, 
That was mm-hmm. the that was the one that took it all down. Um, okay, then we went uh, truck versus sports car. You picked the sports car. Yeah, I love racing, yeah. man. I just one of my buddies has a uh, he's a retired EOD guy, and yeah. he started a team called After Action Racing. And we hmm. said it's like you know it's endurance racing, and you're going around the track. It's not a circle track. It's the um, what do you call it? You got corners, you got apexes, you got everything else. It's fun as shit, man. Hmm. And, you know, and you're, you're doing it. Two, what are you doing it? Like, what kind of cars are you doing this in? So the cars have to be 15 years or older. And we we were running. I did it last year. I'm going to do it this October again. And you're more than welcome to come out. It's in Washington yeah. State and yeah. Oregon area. It's a race lucky dog, but the cars have to be 15 years or older. And we were racing Mustang GTs. But you'll have Miatas out there. You have Scirocco's. Everything you can imagine going around a track, man. And it is fun, you know, hitting the corners, you know, 80 miles yeah. an hour, hitting the straightaways, 130, 140. And it's just, man, I've, I've chased people throughout my career. I've been through law enforcement academies as you have with the driving. Yeah. But there's nothing like racing, man. Right. Nothing like it, man. It's like for two hours straight when you're in your, there's nothing except 10 feet in front of you, 10 feet behind you and 10 feet to the side. And these people, these cars are coming up on your side, like inches from your bumper. And you're like, damn, dude. Sorry. And are you I buying w- cars knowing that, okay, that like, you're not, you're not in, is, is this an investment on the car no, side? These are, or are you so kind of like going, oh, I'm just going to buy something and then go. No, these are not brakes. These are like bona fide ripped out cars, roll bars in them, fire safety, plexiglass, uh, oh, fuel okay. systems. These are like bona fide racing. Oh, so great. I'll put, I'll post some stuff up on IG at, uh, act Dr. Jason Piccolo. And I'll put up some of the after action racing stuff. They're like real race cars, man. That's what, when you get into it, you're like, you know, I've got the whole fire retardant suit on. I've got the mask, the helmet, the gloves, even the racing shoes. When I first went out there here, I'm like, I'm wearing like vans and I'm like, oh, I get, I can make sure I just bring some shorts. I didn't think there was gonna be like full, like full-on fire retardant everything and you know they got real flag people this is like real racing man i was oh, like damn what wow. am i getting myself into and, and then, then you it's just addicting. keep going like just go keep going until what so it's like a saturday and sunday race so friday will actually be like your qualifier so they'll yeah. put you into a different class so you'll be like a b c and they're going to tell you hey look these are the max times you could do the lap if you go over that like some people can go out there with some mod modded cars out but they'll get kicked off the track because you can only go a certain amount of time. So then Saturday comes the race. You'll race eight hours on Saturday and like seven or um, six or seven hours the next day. And then they use a cumulative times. So you're out there probably like I would take one, one hit. So it'd be like two hours, hour and a half, two hours. And then next day I drive two hours and we had two cars. So it's, you know, some people are out there, they have three different cars (laughs) <laughs> and uh yeah man that's awesome so i mean it is a little bit of, obviously an investment you get the car yeah. then you got to outfit it so that it mm-hmm. meets, i'm sure those are requirements right you can't just show yeah up you like, can't and yeah. that you know friday night that's part of it they'll go through the cars and say Do and you even have to have like yeah you have to have like the sponsor stickers on there and everything it's like a whole like real deal, man. You got to do it. I'll, I'll definitely be interested in a spawn. I'd like to put Violent Nomad on your car. if you. Yeah, definitely. That, that'd be cool. I'm going out there in October. They're doing another race. I mean, it's racing season. So there's like a race every two weeks. Oh, that's kind of cool. You'd like love it. it, man. Yeah. I think everybody would love it. I mean, just for two hours of just not thinking about shit. 
Yeah. Except going around that track and just keeping it on the track. And I've spun a bunch of times, man. The first time I got in there, it was pouring rain. And I'm like, son of a. I'm like, I'm going to wreck this guy's car. <laughs> that's this is awesome. Man. That's the best part. <laughs> what does he um, call it? Wheel to wheel therapy. That's what it is. Yeah. I've been doing, uh, I don't know if you've been watching, like I do track days uh, yeah. here, the, the tracks here in Texas with my, with my super bike, you know, and that's full leather. It's 105 mm-hmm. degrees out these last couple of times I've gone. It's been nuts. Um, you know, and I'm just really, it's working on skills, like getting into those turns as fast as possible. Yep. You know, I'm not trying to drag my knee, but you know, physics will get you there, um, which is super cool. And you know, the adrenaline of it all, but but also we, I don't know if you've also seen where we, we get kind of stupid too, where we get out on the highways here in the Dallas area mm-hmm. and it's me mm-hmm. and Mike and some other, uh, you know, seals in the area. And then we drive our cars like fucking maniacs. Um, we all meet at a gas station and then, uh, and then we just go. And ever since Mike, and I'm talking Mike Ritland of Mike mm-hmm. drop ever since he had, um, a former team guy gone police officer on his show, Mike asked, Hey, so what's the speed limit where cops won't pull you over? And the guy answered, right? He's like, well, you got 150 plus. We're not allowed to, we're not allowed to chase you. And so <laughs> we, we meet up at a gas station and then we'll go to a car meet and we'll get on the highway and we just make sure we're going 150 plus. And we have passed like Texas troopers and, and they don't even move. First of all, they're not going to be able to catch up because they're coming from zero and we're already going to be miles down the road. <laughs> but yeah, it's a little crazy, but it's, man, I tell you, it's so much fun. And uh, for all you listeners going, oh, my God, you're so mature. Grow up. Um, <laughs> we don't we're not trying to endanger anybody else's lives. It's early in the morning. There's no one else on the highway. We're taking safety into consideration for everyone else except ourselves. OK, so I'm just disclaimer there. Hey, this is Clint Emerson, retired Navy SEAL. I get a lot of questions about my morning routine. So here it is in a nutshell. 5 a.m., wake up. First cup of coffee, I dump Bub's Naturals MCT oil in there. And then I mix it around with one of those little automatic stir spoon thingies that make it all frothy and creamy. And then my second cup, I dump Bub's Naturals collagen in there. Now, the reason I do both is the first one, MCT, fuels my brain. It gets me up, allows me to focus on whatever I've got going on. The second cup of coffee has collagen, which honestly, it's like lubrication for my joints. It makes my neck and my shoulders, my left hip and my left knee feel pretty damn good. And it wasn't until I went over to Australia that I realized that this stuff really does work. I was overseas for about 45 days. And in the first week, I wasn't so focused in the morning. In fact, I was a little foggy and my neck was hurting. My shoulders were hurting. And I thought to myself, "Eh, it's just jet lag, different pillow, a different mattress. And then it dawned on me, I don't have my bubs with me. The day I got back to the States, I immediately started back up, and within a week of being home, I was focused again, my joints didn't hurt, and I was like, holy, I can tell you that Bub's Naturals works. Great for your skin and hair, by the way. Everything feels good. Unlike a lot of supplements out there, it actually works, and that's the key takeaway here. It works. I'm telling you you will notice a difference. Check out bubsnaturals.com and order some MCT and collagen now. And don't forget, 
to use promo code can you survive that's one thing i miss about being out in the field is when i used to be when i was a special agent man my one g ride was a uh, government car was a mustang gt and it was yeah, all those you things, know oh, those man. boss engines or whatever they call yeah, them like they're super fast awesome. you can't see any and you know it was silver but doing surveillance with that thing and then trying to chase people with it and oh, it's yeah. just from san diego to la i oh, love that i miss was, was the rules the same out there 150 miles an hour is kind of like nope you're not allowed to engage you know it was different for us because when we were doing it you know if i i've been in a lot of situations where cops would come up on me when i'm hauling ass and i would just hit the rear lights because i'd have hidden lights in the rear or hidden lights in the front yeah. and they would just back off so it was different i don't know what the cops would say i remember once i was i was coming over a hill and i had one of those little cougars Remember that, like they were like an eclipse, but it was a cougar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, a Sunday morning, <laughs> and we just got done doing a dope deal, and I'm fucking tired. I just want to get home. And I used to carry a car 15, so like this is like 2004, 2005, and it's typical with anything. All the supervisors have all the fancy names, the MD, MP5s, and everything. And I'm I'm rolling with this old fashioned car 15, but I used to tuck it in my my seat next to me so I could just grab it. There's no mounts or anything because these are uc cars yeah i remember coming over a hill doing 115 just trying to get home and a cop pulls me over runs up to the car about to bitch me out and i like i took my badge out of my shirt doesn't even look at the machine gun i got next to me or the extra mags and stuff like that i'm like bro i'm just i just want to go home and he's like okay man just go (laughs) yeah i'm like thank god yeah that's that pack mentality thing right yeah Mm-hmm. Huh? It, it exists everywhere. The good guys, the mm. bad guys. It doesn't. It doesn't exist where I'm at right now, Washington <laughs> D.C. If oh. I get pulled over doing any bullshit right now in Washington D.C. area, they they'd hook my ass up. They're like, "Oh, you're a, you're a Fed." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, well, hop in the back." <laughs> they don't care, man. Yeah, I, I actually experienced that. I lived up in D.C. for probably it was only like three years, and I um. I was going from D.C. down to uh, Woodbridge to one of the FBI facilities, and I had Secret Service in the car with me. So we got in those HOV, right? Everywhere else, HOV means two or more. Yep. But in D.C., oh, no, you have two people in there. You get pulled over because you're supposed to have three. And... I'm like, hey, what's up? I'm a, you know, I'm a team guy. And then the Secret Service, you know, he's like, yeah, and I'm Secret Service. And he's throwing his badge around. Or we're, we're kind of like, hey, you know, give us a break. And uh, yeah, no, not so much. Nope. Got a big old fat ticket because I didn't nope. have a third person in the vehicle with me. <laughs> you know, I would like to. I wonder what it's like now, though. Yeah. You know, with everything with going on with law enforcement, if they would still be like that, I think they would. I think they'd still give you a ticket. That's fine. Whatever. Well, I mean, over the years, we're going to get into this, but, you know, law enforcement's just been so hamstrung, yeah. right? I mean, I don't think these guys and gals feel like they can do anything that's not going to lead to, you know, a court date of some sort, you know? So, okay, let's finish this out. Um, okay, hammer or, you know, no, wait, create versus destroy. You rather create stuff? I'm always creating. Break man. things? Yeah. I'm always yeah. like podcasts, books, everything. Yeah. I'm always creating something. Whether yeah, it's a new identity or a new whatever, every ten years I'm I'm creating something new about myself. Yeah, so, that's yeah. okay. I get that. I get that. I think for us, like team guys, we like breaking shit. You know, there's like a saying: like if you if you think you have something that's unbreakable, give it to us. We'll break it. <clears throat> I tell you though, if I lived in a country 
every time something breaks in my house, I want it because I grew up in a, like a nice area. I could shoot whatever I want. Anytime anything breaks in his house, whether it's a fridge or anything, I want to go and shoot it. I just want to shoot the hell out of everything. A computer breaks, I want to shoot it, but I can't do that here. So I got to create something, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, it's you're doing a good job, too. We're going to dig into those creations here in a minute. Um, Hammer versus nail. It's kind of the same. Like you beat yeah. a hammer or you beat a nail, you know? I guess it kind of depends on what you, what you yeah. context you throw that into. But you exactly. said exactly. Yeah, if anything, because to me, hammering is this. Anything mm -hmm. ever happens with my kids, I'm going to hammer the hell out of anybody or anything. Right. So that's why I was thinking like nails. Eh. But that's like one thing, like that's where that whole protectors thing came in. It's always like, I don't care if you're a law enforcement, military, whatever. You got to protect your house. You got to protect your family. And that's that's where I get the hammer. Yeah, I totally agree. Like when my daughter started dating, I remember sitting oh, down with one, of the, one of these kids and I was like, hey, uh, just want you to know, I don't fear prison and I don't fear death. And whatever you do to my daughter... I'm going to do to your daddy while your mama's taped to the chair watching. <laughs> <laughs> and this kid, man, these days he looks at me and he's like, that would be awesome. I hate my parents. <laughs> I was like, damn it. That didn't even work. Uh-huh. Yeah. Punk ass. I, I, I can't even imagine my daughter's 12. I just, I can't think about it, man. Yeah, it's coming. You just got to, I tell you what, the biggest, the biggest, the, the, the strength you give a daughter is is yep. their relationship with their dad mm -hmm. and you know my me and my daughter were best friends so that's that's all that you have to have and then they'll be good to go they'll take yeah. care of themselves they'll make the right decisions as long as they've got a great relationship with their father um, i'm always like telling about knives and guns and hey you know what if you stab someone here you know what? I'm just going to get, where's that hunter deadly skills for kids? That's what I need to get one of those <laughs> yeah, exactly. for, for post-teens. How's that? Yeah. Well, there's you know, deadly got... skills for dating my daughter. Yeah. There you go. I, I, actually, that's on the list, right? You know, is <laughs> once you get into doing book series, yeah, there's the college edition that'll probably be coming. There's a couple of other editions that I've got in the works. So we'll see. Um, let's see here. Ooh, yeah, getting a little personal. Shave it or let it grow. And you kind of went 70s on me. A little 70s you know, porn star action. I don't know, man. I, uh, <laughs> I've i gone through the phases of my life where everything's shaved. But now I got this beard. Um, yeah, yeah, you got a beard. Got a beard. I'm Italian, but I'm not Italian, so it's not going to grow that long. So I think, you know. I You're just an American Italian. American Italian. Yeah, that's why it's I can't growing. See <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't see uh I can't see shaving the beard off and I can't see shaving any of the crap. I'm damn near 50. I'm not I'm not you know, we got to embrace the 70s and 80s now. There you go. Yeah, it's what are they what we used to say, the belly button wearing a fur coat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I think about like shaving, I think about that Burt Reynolds. He's got that poster of him and he's like all nude and you're like, "God oh, damn, Burt, you're a hairy son of a bitch." <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if that looks cool or not. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see here. What was next, city or an island? You picked the island. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, out, outside of hurricanes, hitting an island, I don't, you know, I can't stand a city, man. I am so ready to get out of it. Yeah, people, right? It's the people. Yeah, I just, I, it's not even like, I just, the driving, the people. I need to be somewhere where I have like a few acres. I want more dogs. You know, throw a cat in there, maybe a sheep, lamb, all sorts of shit. I want to be able to hunt. I want to be able to go out and shoot refrigerators if they break. 
I just got to get away. You know? <laughs> if it's on an yeah. island, I would, you know, whatever. Yeah. Same Ref- thing. For shooting refrigerators, now you're talking about a trailer park out in the middle of nowhere. Hey, yeah. there's nothing wrong with a trailer park. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I'm I'm out in the middle of nowhere now. I made that move in the yeah. past couple of, it's only been a couple of months now. And it's awesome. Like the sunrises, the sunsets are uh, definitely the best part of the day. All you hear, um, who would have thought there's wild peacocks here in Texas, right? And peacocks make a lot of noise. Yeah. I don't know if anybody knows that, but I didn't know that till I got out there. And I was like, what the fuck is that screaming out in the distance? <laughs> but it was, there's peacocks, the chickens, the roosters, the cows. I mean, every morning... It's the kind of music you want to hear. I'm I'm not kidding. It's so awesome, and I, uh, yeah, yeah, so I like glad Texas, I did it. Man. Yeah, now Fort Hood, Texas. I was there in the nineties. Not a big fan. That's uh, different. That's different. Yeah, it's, it's not Fort the real Hood. Texas. Yeah, I mean that big army. Like you can't beat that, right? I mean, it's it, it, collectively. You're like, yeah, America. That's Fort America, Hood. Yep. And what's that one? The, the 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 Statue of Death. That big. That represents. Um, which division does that represent? It is such a cool statue. It's this like evil knight in armor st- on this huge horse that sits out in front of the headquarters. Did you ever see it? No, man. I because I was stationed like, there in 95, 96. Yeah, so I think it's pretty new and it's like the yeah, the knight of death. Yeah. And it represents it's the mantra for one of the divisions there. And hey, and if you know, listener, if you know, go ahead and make it down the bottom. I always forget shit. So yeah, send me um, a picture, but I want to see that, dude. It is it is bad to the bone. Like you look at that and you're like, yeah, that's 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 the American Ugh. army right there. <laughs> yeah, I went from Fort Carson, Colorado, and Colorado Springs to Texas, and I was like, ah. Yeah, that's it's oh, hot. Man. It's yeah, it's flat, hot, and not mm-hmm. much to not strip malls. Strip malls, maybe. Oh yeah, <laughs> everyone's it. got a four by four or a muscle car. Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call them white trash hot rods. Or if you're a if you're <laughs> a, a PFC or a specialist like I was, you drive a 1987 Ford. No, not Ford. Uh, Chevy Nova. It's oh, almost like yeah. a Nissan Sentra. Yeah. But back then, you had no AC, so I used to call that the sauna on wheels. Well, yeah, Ian, you probably had to roll down your windows. It, it yep. wasn't like mm-hmm. a button. You had to actually crank. Uh, I think it was like 150 degrees. Uh, (laughs) Memories. Yeah. No, I know those days. I was. So when was that? Say that again. What are the dates? I was 94, 95 when I was in uh, Texas. Okay. So you're a little before me when you joined. Yeah, I was 93. Okay. Well, oh, no. Yeah, I joined in uh, 94. 94? Okay. Actually, 95, 96 in Texas, and I was in uh, Colorado. Okay. Gotcha. Um. Okay, the kicking the balls versus the hundred paper cuts. You know, I equate the paper cuts almost to like tattoos. You know, once yeah. you start getting these tattoos, you know, yeah. the sleeves yeah. and all that other crap, it's like, yeah, the pain's not bad. Kicking the balls, oh man, I could just, you could feel that for years. I still remember getting kicked in the balls <laughs> here and there. And I remember the kids who did it. I'm like, man, that's been 30, 40 years now. I still remember getting kicked in the balls. Paper cuts, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I've been kicked in the nuts a couple of times. My buds class saying was uh, on the front of our Hell Week T-shirt. It said, "Much rather prefer a kick in the nuts than uh, than going through Hell Week," which I would agree with. And um, one of my fights in high school, uh, I won, but with an uppercut to the nuts, it was a straight up upper. He pulled. He pulled my shirt up over my head, uh. and I was leaning over. 
And so all I could see through the tunnel of fabric, because it was all pulled over, <laughs> was was his nuts. And I just was like, oh, wham. And then I stood there for a second, still with my shirt pulled over my head, couldn't see anything else. And all I could see through my tunnel of fabric was like him back away. So then I was like, oh, and I pulled the shirt back down. And then I looked up and he was, you know, in the tripod position, right? Hands on his knees. <gasps> And then, and then the pain hadn't kicked in yet, right? And uh, mm-hmm. and all my buddies were like, "Finish him!" And I kind of stood there for a second. <laughs> I was like, "He's already. I think he's done." And then finally, he let, he got down on the ground. He put his feet up in the air, <laughs> trying to like oh, relieve the pain. And then uh, I was like, "Nah, he's good." And I walked away. And I was like, "I guarantee yeah. you, that kid remembers that punch in the balls." Right. Right. He's probably going to tell his grandkids about that punch in the balls. Yeah, yeah, that's a generational punch in the balls, right? That's there. a. It's one of those where, yeah, and, and and then as I was leaving, I remember he his but his buddies grabbed him, and this was in a McDonald's parking lot, right? <laughs> so as I get into my car, I'm kind of looking in distance, checking him, just seeing you know like how he's how he's doing, and and at this point he's got his legs up against the McDonald's wall, right, and he's on his back, just trying to relieve the pain in some form or fashion. It's kind of funny. Anyway, I lost a lot of fights, too, by the way. I'm not that cool. Um, break it or fix it? You were kind of a fix-it kind of guy. Yeah, you got to fix it. I'm always, you know, I break shit all the time, especially when it comes to cars. I'm mm. always learning. And, I, you know, that's one skill that our kids, I just really wish we had, like, non-complex cars. Yeah. I'm always computers doing light bulbs. Things and, up. Yeah, computers. I'm like, I'm YouTube and shit all the time. We were talking before, I got mm-hmm. to, like, and I get new optics for this pistol. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to put new stuff on it. Upgrading yeah. pistols, rifles, all the other stuff. I love tinkering. I'm with you. Yeah. Part of the reason I moved out to nowhere because the place came with some workshops. And I was like, ah, oh, that's awesome. Oh, finally. Right? You can just get in there and break things and fix it. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will be right back after the break. That was good. That was a good warm up, huh? How about that for yeah. a rapid fire? All right. Okay. Well, got to know you. you so now, now we're going to roll on. All right. So, what is, since we're getting into gear, guns, and I'm sure we'll dive a little more into that type of stuff, what's your, what is your favorite? Your law enforcement, you're an army guy, gone law enforcement. So, do you have a favorite piece of gear that you've had over the years? Like, you're like, man, I just can't let this go. You know, I've always, when it comes to gear, I've always had this one handcuff case. I wish I could find that sucker. It's right around here somewhere. And I've I've used that throughout my career, 20 something years now. Handcuff and case? That's when, handcuff case. Okay. Oh, it's just a nice small thin. I can throw some handcuffs in there, but yep. I always know where it's at. I always know how to load my handcuffs, regardless of what position I'm in or anything. I always have that one. As far as gear, I've always, you know, my when I first started law enforcement, it was a bread in 96D pistol, 40 caliber. Hmm. And it was double action only with a trigger pull that was like 152 pounds. <laughs> it would and it would rust because I was sweat so much during a shift if I was hiking. Oh yeah, that it would rust every shift. So, yeah. but then you know later on in my career, it's mostly been Glock 19s. Yeah, it was reliable, trustworthy, light. And now, yeah, and I finally got a Glock uh, 19 Gen 5. Hmm. But I'm mostly carrying. I got this little P365. I carry all everywhere. That's my, yeah. that's Sig, my go-to. Sig knocked it out of the park with that little guy. Yeah, I, and you know I've got this this Walther PDP now full size for competition shooting, and I got fifty different guns around here, and it's like 
I just always, I call my movie gun, little 365, bring it to yeah. the movies, 15 yeah. shots, good to go. Well, the reality is with concealed carry, you know, it's like comfort becomes the priority. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, or you're not going to carry it every day. If you really want to carry something every day, you know, you'd go comfort. That's me. Now, yeah. if you're talking to a Bill Rapier, he'll carry, he's like, no. Bigger the gun, the better. And no matter how uncomfortable it is, carry it. Because <laughs> no one's ever wished. And he makes a great point. It's like no one's ever wished they had a smaller gun in a gunfight. No. <laughs> they always wish they had the bigger gun. And so, of course, he's more of a proponent of being uncomfortable and carrying the biggest gun possible. Where I'm like, nah, I'd rather be comfortable and I'll carry a small little guy. <laughs> I'm good. I do. I do. I When I ruck a lot, I ruck in the morning or when I'm working out, I go to the gym or anything. I always have a Microtech. Um front opener oh yeah just because i you know you never know when you have to cut open a box or a person or something like that yeah so I, that's i always have that on my but like when i'm working out I'm, i don't carry a gun so if you're out there on the trail and someone sees me feel free to bug me i'm good but no <laughs> but i understand yeah. where he's coming from you know especially you never know i live in a decent area here and there's a mall right up the corner and i'm dropping my kids there off all the time and there was like a gang shooting there a few weeks ago and i'm thinking to myself like jesus yeah, if something like that happens, and I, and there's not a lot of first responders when you need them. That's that is true. That so is true. you have to be your own first responder. So That's that means right. carrying that awesome butt pack or something where you can carry an extra mag with you and all the other good stuff. I'm okay with fanny packs. Me too. I love them. Yeah, I'm like fuck it. I don't. Know. I there was there was a time in my first platoon we all had them. It's like we get off the ship, a whole bunch of seals. We all had these fanny packs. They all had guns in them. Everybody knew there's, oh, that's a fanny pack that carries a gun. Like, it's like you're broadcasting it to the world, no matter where we were at with our uh, Tevas. Remember Tevas? Yeah. Sandals. Yep. So Tevas, cut off camouflage pants, our fanny packs with guns in it and tank tops. Right. And Oakley's the big Oakley razors or whatever they were called. You know? Yeah. We looked. We looked, uh, we looked 100% uh, know, man. 90s. When I was in San Diego, I'd always go over to Coronado. We'd go there for lunch, man, all the time. You know who the team was, guys was, were, right? Yeah, of course. I used to be, um, <laughs> I was at San Ysidro, but then later on, I was over at a, um, a DEA task force. So we were by Otai. So we'd always uh, see the jumps. We'd always see the yeah. jumps coming in. But then like for lunch, you know, head over to Coronado, get some good Mexican food or get some yeah. coffee and just relax, wait till something happens and then boom. You got to say, I mean, I got to uh. You can, you got to admit, like, the SEAL teams, because we're in the Navy, you're always stationed on, right on a beach. And it's always a beautiful thing, like, spoiled brats we are. Um, okay, dangerous situations, all right? Let's get into some sexy stuff here. What's the most dangerous situation that you've been in, got yourself out of, lessons learned? Dangerous situations. Yeah. Well, there was better one be good. Time. Better be good. It's, Jason. That's not that good. You know, <laughs> I, I do remember there was like, you know, when I first started out in a border patrol, I was just a dumbass kid. You know, listen, when you're in We're a, all just a, dumbass kids, I'm fucking almost yeah. 50. Still a dumbass. Kid. Believe me, I'm still a dumb. I'm still dumb. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm much of a kid anymore. I feel like a kid. <laughs> My body doesn't feel old. Was that TikTok thing? Jiggle, jiggle, fold crap now. No. <laughs> so yeah, I'm in whatever. <laughs> first got to the border patrol and I'm like, you know. I'm from small town, New Jersey. Yeah, I've been in the army, but this was Cold War Army. There's no battles here and stuff like that. And I remember dropping down into a canyon. And I get down to the bottom. 
And these are like San Diego mountains. So are you no, dropping? What do you mean dropping? Uh, I mean, I'm yeah, so a sensor goes off. Yeah. So all along the border, there's sensors. Really? So oh, is yeah. this a secret? No, that's no. all there. There's yeah, sensors. Okay. That detect it. people. Yes. So if you're mm. and it, you could, so you could set these sensors in the ground, and yeah. it's basically seismic shift. So I mean, if someone's walking, like a, an animal's not going to set it off. So you could set it to be like 130 pounds, 140 pounds. It's not going to tell you how many people are hitting it. It's going to say, okay, it hits and then it ends. And this Mm -hmm. is like the technology back in the early 2000s. So I'm sure it's a lot better now. Mm -hmm. So if a sensor goes off, you have to go down into a canyon. So next to San Diego are these huge mountains called the Otay Mountains. And these canyons are deep and the trails are built for Oaxacans, which are like little five feet people. So And donkeys. Yep. And donkeys, yeah. Yeah. So when you go down these canyons, there's no backup. There's no, if anybody else comes after you to help you, they're going to be an hour or two behind you. Mm. You can't get a helicopter in there because a helicopter has nowhere to land. You can call for a search and rescue helicopter and drop someone in there, but that's still going to be hours away. So when you go down and check these sensors out, you don't know what you're getting into. You don't know if it's going to be a smuggler. You don't know if it's just going to be a family. You don't know what. And I remember a sensor going off and I'm by myself. It's at night and I'm going down, I'm down, down, down. And I see this guy and he's like six foot three. He's got a flannel on and he looks like he just, he has those prison muscles, mm. no lower body. And I'm like, man, this fucking dude's going to take me out. And I'm like, eh, you know, I could draw down on him. I could do this. I could do that. And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, man. I'm fucking toast if this guy goes for it. I'm going to have to shoot him. How the hell am I going to, how am I going to explain that I had to shoot this guy? I'm like, cause I'm like five, nine buck 80. Then I was decent shape. So I'm like, ah, oh, shit. And he goes, Oh, you got me. And he turns around. And he just, he's ready to go. Cause he's been arrested so many times. He knows that I'm going to bring him up. I'm going to process him. Nobody's going to prosecute him. And he's going to go right back to Mexico and try again the next day. What's the purpose? What's his purpose? Like, let's say he doesn't get caught. What's he doing? What's he's going to come like over and a guy like that, one or two things. He's going to come here for economic prosperity yep. or he's going to come here for illicit means. A lot of these people just want to come over. Um, but then you have, you know, <laughs> so many of these people you hook up at the border. So many have some sort of criminal conviction for either. It's like uh, domestic abuse, uh, child endangerment, rape all sorts of other different arrests. And back then we didn't have the five point. We weren't fingerprinting everybody. So it was like, you're taking one fingerprint. It's not, it's just going to see if they have immigration hits. If you think they're suspected, you could, you know, run all five of their fingerprints or all 10 of their fingerprints and it would go through the FBI and everything. But then there was a serial killer rolling around in Texas Mm. for years who was killing people railroads. And he was an illegal and he kept getting arrested by the border patrol, but they ne- they weren't fingerprinting him all the way. It wasn't connecting. Yeah. Nope. And now that's why they 10 print everybody they call it. So you never know what you're going to run into. I've run into a lot of different uh, scenarios in my career. Fortunately, I haven't had to shoot someone, but I've been in so many where you're just like, man, yeah, this is some shit. It's yeah. Dicey, right? Yeah. So let me ask you this. What, you know. Your experience in with the border, you talk, you know, you hear these, what to me sounds just like fantastic 
allegations of MS-13 and drugs and all this shit coming across the board. Like, so what is the percentage of families that are just wanting to come to America and do what, what we've all done for the past, whatever, a couple hundred years now, right? Versus the percentage of like true bad people. Is it more of the families or singletons that just want to, you know, live or have a better life? Or is it truly a whole bunch of bad people? There are a whole bunch of bad people. There are. I've, okay. I've Absolutely. But there's also a metric shit ton of good people. So would you say there's more good than there is yeah, bad? Yeah, there's absolutely Crossing. more good. Okay. Yeah. Because I feel like sometimes they're you know, media pushes the limits on how they leverage yeah, the, the bad people factor versus wait. Okay. Or is it just good people? You know? No. And that's where, you know, I was working for this human smuggling cell and that's kind of where I wrote that first book Yeah, is when I found out not just the people who were evil coming across the border, but then what they were doing to these little kids coming across the border. Cause there's like, there's probably, you know, Nowadays, there's probably 150 to 200,000 little kids coming across the border by themselves. Say that and number again. About 150 to 200,000 unaccompanied alien children, unaccompanied minor children. 150 to 200,000 kids, right? Yeah. Little kids. Well, that's not crazy. all of them are little because. Well, I know. I, I get you. I get and your I point. Both, yeah, because when you throw that political machine in there and yeah. they start going, well, they're MS 13. Yes, there's MS 13 in there, but a lot of them are tender age. So I got, I got hooked up with this when I worked for ICE. I worked at this human smuggling cell. And our charter was to go after the smuggling organizations that were bringing these little kids across. And that's when I found out like about all these little kids and about how many of them, once they get here and they get through the system, get released out into the wild to these sponsors, these people coming in and taking them mm-hmm. and finding out that these sponsors are like, you know, uh, let's say out of 50,000 sponsors, let's say, Five or six thousand have some sort of criminal history. Oh, geez. I.e., they've been arrested for murder, rape, incest, anything, you know? And you're like, holy shit, what is going on? You know, that's we're crazy. essentially smuggling. And that's why it's like to not get political about it, the border is just jacked up and it's not going to get fixed because nowadays it's like you got to get across the border. If you were in South America, Central America, you have got to get a foothold in the US before they change the law. So if you and they, get here, and they know the laws better than we do, right? Yeah, they do. They keep up. I with mean, that stuff. Fifty-one people just died in Texas. Yeah, I saw that because they're getting. I mean, it's horrible, man. Back of a truck and just burned yeah. to death, basically, because of the heat. Um, There's evil, evil on both sides of that border, man. Right now, do you think the wall would change anything? I, you know, I I love that question because I always tell people, I'm yeah. like, coming from the, I was an infantry officer one time, and you know, uh, military stuff, you want to funnel. Funnel the targets, funnel the the people into certain locations. Yeah. And that's where you deploy assets. And then I'm also from the East Coast. I always tell people, I'm like, look, the Southwest border is like driving from Maine to Miami on Route 95. That is how big the border is. You can't put a wall in the whole border, but you can put it in certain locations that are high traffic areas to funnel traffic in to where you could put agents and you could put technology. Yeah. And there's what, 15, 16,000 agents on Southwest border working 24, seven, 365. Damn. Yeah. Three and to you're four still shifts. Gonna, you're still not going to no. see everything. I mean, it's just insane. No. Yeah. And you know, just as well as I do, tech is great, but tech is not going to find someone that's been like camped under a bush and they're not put, showing a heat signature. And that means you got to have 
something that's going to be able to check heat signatures for 2,000 miles. Right. And even for every piece of tech, there has to be a human response, which really Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden you're just draining. You're draining energy, you're draining resources, you're draining money. Yeah. On a a lot of different fronts. Um, Yeah. I've always kind of been curious about that. Me, I always joke about, can someone just build the wall across the northern border of Texas? (laughs) Can we keep California and New York out of here, please? Thank you. Oh, man. So actually just put Texas in its own little just chain link fence and let's just keep everybody out. I'll be there in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead and move here. You know, we were actually joking. I don't know where I saw it, but they were like talking about, you know, for for that we have this huge, you know, migration from California into Texas. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, you got great taxes here. It's veteran friendly. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to move to Texas. It's not because of mountains and oceans, but, you know, you can. You can buy a home and land, yeah. and you can really actually make the dollar stretch here. But there was a there was an idea going around that uh, people moving in, one, you've got to get the driver's license, right? You have to switch and charge, and then just say, "Hey, it's five thousand dollars if you want a Texas driver's license," just to, to try and slow down, you know, the immigration from the West and East Coast into this state. Um, or you could take Austin. And go like 50 miles around Austin and put a yeah. fence around that. And then there you can go, go to Austin. There yeah. you go. Yeah. If you're from Cal, go to Austin. Yep. You go inside the fence line of Austin. There you yep. go. Go inside the cage. <laughs> 35 West. You just get right, right there in the Austin. Yeah. You're good to go. Yeah. Actually, you know what's funny is Austin's coming around. It's coming, kind of coming back wow. to its conservative ways, interestingly enough. Slowly but surely. We will be right back after the break. Okay, so now we know you you did your time in the army, right? And then you and then you went into law enforcement. So first, tell me the the law kind of start you know from army, and then just tell me the different agencies you've worked for chronologically. Okay, so I go army, and then I go to college. College, I get commissioned. And instead of going active duty, I go into the U.S. Border Patrol. Okay, and from U.S. Border Patrol, I became a U.S. Customs Special Agent, which Got then it. becomes ICE. And then from there, I get recalled and I go to Iraq. In Iraq, I was an anti-terrorism officer for CJ Sodif, AP, which is Combined Joint Special Operations Task Force. Did that for a bit, 18 months of that. Came back, uh, got a job working with Army CID as a civilian, working on a criminal investigations task force in D.C. area, working at Gitmo cases. Then I went to work for Defense Logistics Agency, working DOD stuff, mostly internal investigations. Then I went back working for ICE, and then I became an ICE supervisor doing fugitive operations until I blew the whistle in 2016, and now I work for another agency in, in D.C. Got but it. Non-IC, but it's still law enforcement. Got it. Okay. Very nice. All right. So you got definitely the experience both overseas and CONUS and you know, what I like, it's diversified, right? I mean, that's what yeah. makes it, I think that's, that's key. Like I, I pride myself on that too. It's like, yeah, SEAL teams, NSA, and then tier one and got to do it all. And it was fun and cool. And, but the beauty of that is you're seeing things at different levels. Oh, and you yeah. don't get so focused, you know, it's real easy to just see what you see as like a, a team guy with a gun and, you know, you, it's kind of a narrow thought process when you're at that level. And then you go to like the national strategic level and you go, oh, yeah, that's why the president makes decisions that he makes that and when I'm, I was down at the lower level, I'd be like, what the fuck is that guy thinking? 
then you get to the higher levels and you go, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> I know I've been at headquarters, uh, different types of headquarters. I'm actually on a detail right now called the presidential management rotation oh. to oh. another agency. And I'm, I'm looking at the, the secretariat level and I'm like, man, it's interesting. It's very but does it, it? But you do you agree? Like sometimes it's not until you're in those headquarters yeah. and really see it and you go, yeah, I would have disagreed with this decision a decade or two ago. But now that I'm here, now that I yeah. see the process, I understand it so much more better. And that's right? what you say before about like the macro level. It's like you really yeah. I do understand the field and I do. And I, I think the headquarters elements do get out of touch with reality. And when I do these sensing sessions. They're always talking to other managers, other people at the supervisor level. They need to go down to the ground. I, and that's what I always love to talk about, like the ground truth. And like, I would imagine the military would be like the same thing. Don't go talk to like, you know, your 04s, 05s. Get down in there. Talk to the enlisted people. Talk to the lieutenants. Talk to people who are actually doing it and find out what's really going on. But then nobody's going to really open their mouth. So you're going to have to get some sort of liaison who feels comfortable and who's at that rank to go and get a sensing session. So you're going to need like an E4 is going to talk to an E4 an E5 is going to talk to an E5 mm -hmm. and be the catalyst, be the one that's going to be the conduit of information because leaders can talk to lead. Well, leaders, supervisors and managers can talk to <laughs> supervisors. And yeah, managers. Yeah. yeah. There is a difference. So, yeah. <laughs> there is definitely a difference, but yeah, man. But on top of that, I've been teaching college for like six years now, man. I love that shit. And that's what part-time. Yeah, I, I teach uh, online school. I teach at uh, St. Joe's University in Philly. I teach uh, cybersecurity, graduate cybersecurity crap. Oh, nice. And then I've been teaching Homeland Security for years for community college, white collar crime, uh, cyber, forensics, all sorts of shit. Yeah. Immigration law. I taught immigration law. You definitely have mastered your trade. You know, I think that's important. At all You've worked at it at all different levels. You're looking at it from all different angles. You're continuing well, to learn. But that's my thing. It's like I've seen all these talking heads get on and I've seen all these people get out of government and go become a talking head, mm -hmm. but they don't keep current. They don't know what's going on and they just keep spewing the same crap. And you're like, come on, if you're not keeping on top of your industry, then Hack, just like you, you keep on top of everything to do with like when you wrote this book, The Rugged Life. Yeah, it's it's true. You keep on top of it and you find out the experts. If I don't know shit, I go find out. I've been doing court TV for jeez, uh, man. I've been on 60 something episodes of court TV. That was my next piece. Yeah. So let's yeah. get into that. Yeah. You're like, you know, you're a Hollywood guy, too. So <laughs> <laughs> I've court got TV. I've got the are you for... now. So what is that? What do you consider? Are you considered a. Um, uh, like a uh, an expert witness for that show or what? Nah, what so it's the the crime time segments, they call it. So what they'll do is they'll give me three or four different scenarios, not even like scenarios, the three or four clips from the week. And then like real be, world events, yeah, real world. So they'll, we'll okay. go on there and we'll analyze it. So it's like a kidnapping, a homicide. We'll watch the clip and then we'll break it down. Officer involved uh, shootings. And that's the other reason I have to stay cool. current is because. I can't go on there and be like, hey, you know, back when I did this, because back when I did this shit, like on the border was 20 something years ago. Yeah. But I've worked headquarters. I worked this and law enforcement. I got to keep on top of everything going on. So yeah. I do the court TV thing um, and I don't get paid for it. And I tell people that all the time, all these appearances I used to do all the time. I used to be, I used to do the 
the whole circuit talk about the border. You never get paid for that stuff. It's just for building a brand so I could promote the podcast that I don't really get paid for either. But hey, you know, capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The decisions we make. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it would be called like an expert um, expert guest, you know, guest yes. commentator. Yeah. yeah. No, it's good exposure. And it once again adds to your credibility that you've already got plenty of, right? Trying, brother. Trying. Yeah. And you you got to enjoy it. Do you, yeah. you like all that? Yeah. I love it, man. I, so you're I, teaching, I right you're, you're an expert guest on a TV show, court TV, and then you've got your teaching, and then you're also still a full time law enforcement guy. Yeah. For right? another 190 days. Does the law enforcement, they, they're okay with you doing all this other stuff? As long as you, I don't talk about my agency. And I don't do it on company time. I'm good yeah. to go. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why I never so mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. You have to fill out paperwork and kind of ask for permission and yeah. approval. Yeah. The OGE 450, I tell people. I'm like, anybody that's, you got to do the financial disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. That's all they had for us too. It's like one piece of paper with the JAGs. And so it, when I, I submitted my retirement paperwork, and then I did a little chit that's basically said, respectfully request to start a company called Escape the Wolf. And then I got all the approvals for it and everything. And then about a year goes by right before I'm about to retire. And then they still, then, then this, then the book called, um, uh, no, no, what was the name uh, of the, what was the name of Matt, Mark, Mark Owen's book? Uh, no easy day. No easy day. Yeah. So no easy day comes uh, out. The Bin Laden operation. And they conveniently forgot that I had asked for permission to start my company. And they launch a full scale investigation on me because they were like, we're going to take anybody who has extracurricular activities and we're going to take their trident and shove it up their ass. <laughs> and so before you know it, it was three months of stress that I didn't really need right before I retired. Nothing actually happened. But it was the kind of, it's like those moments. It's the 800 pound gorilla. Like, what are you, what am I going to do when they, the United States government decides to go, we don't care that you filled out that paperwork. Yeah. We don't care that you had five people in your chain of command say it was okay for you to do what you're doing right now. We're going to go ahead and still screw you over. <laughs> ah, well, you know what? Welcome so to the that's life. why I asked. Are you, you got all your paperwork and make sure you save copies of it, buddy. Uh, imagine being a whistleblower. <laughs> Holy crap. So you know? yes, that's the next piece. So now are you, so being labeled, you like, well, you kind of label yourself a whistleblower. Right? I do now, you know, I used to be like, you know, cause I've heard everything about, it. and you know, listen, I'm not a big fan of uh, leakers and people yeah. who have not done it legally. Believe me, I am not a big fan of them. If you're going to blow the whistle, I, what I did was I, and for everybody that doesn't know anything about me, is, so I did work at that White House uh, Security Council's human smuggling cell, and I found out that the government was releasing little kids, the criminal sponsors. Because So a kid will come across the border. Which you alluded to earlier, right? Yeah. So yeah. And the process is very simple. But people make it complex. Little kids come across the border. Mm -hmm. They're either encountered by the border patrol or one of the uniformed people at a port of entry. They get processed. ICE takes them, gives them over to Health and Human Services, which is a non-law enforcement organization, who then gives them over to the, I think it's the Office of Refugee Resettlement. And then they give them over to a contracted facility who then hands them over to, um, a, what do you call it, a sponsor. And a sponsor could be anybody who's supposed to be family. And nine times out of 10, they're not family. 
And these sponsors are supposed to be vetted. They're supposed to be, their fingerprints are supposed to be taken and they're supposed to be interviewed and they're supposed to be, Hey, these kids are going here. They're going to be living at this address. We're going to check on them in a few months. None of that was happening. And I found out when they took this list of sponsors and Homeland Security ran the list and found out that, you know, out of this snapshot of 29,000 sponsors, over 3,000 of them had criminal histories, including sex offenders and stuff like that, that these kids were going to. I was like, hey, um, I used to be a special agent. I know what's going on. Why don't we do an operation, go snag these kids back from their sponsors and then vet the sponsors coming in, change the system. And it fell on deaf ears. Nobody wanted to do anything. It was 2015, right before an election year. And I said, hey, you know what? I can't live like that. I got two little kids at home. I went and checked out uh, how to legally blow the whistle. So I found out you have to go to the office of special counsel for something like this. So I went to the office of special counsel and said, boom, this is what's going on. And then bam, I am now a whistleblower. (laughs) But you still have a federal job, right? I do. They did come after me. (laughs) They did come after me. And uh, fortunately, I had an application in with another agency and I was able to get out of there before they did get me. Because there was that, that instances where coming home, I would see the government cars on my road, my email system at work was corrupted. My cubicle would always be tossed, tossed. There's a lot yeah. of different things going on. And I was like, man, this is a uh, yeah. interesting to have like, you know, you know, after serving for so many years, you're like, dude. Right. You kind of trust the system. And then all of yeah. a sudden when that system turns on you, you're like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. And you can hire attorneys and all that. But the reality is, is a civilian attorney you know, ain't going to do, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, for, in my case, it was like, what am I going to do? Like, you know, it's, uh, it, the, the threat to go into the media is really the only thing you got on your side, you know, and and just go, Hey, I'll just make this big and ugly to the point where you leave me alone, you know, but you did it the right way. And I, I get into these debates sometimes that people that, you know, are fans of Edward Snowden, right. And there's a right and a wrong way to doing something. He, you know, the, the debate is like, well, how could he do He did the right thing. I'm like, no, he didn't. Like, he could have gone, you know, and I, having walked the halls of the NSA and been there, I was like, there's a lot of bureaucracy there, mm-hmm. right? And where there's bureaucracy, that means no matter what side of the fence you fall on, you can find allies. Yeah. So if he thought that the United States was doing something wrong, you can find someone who will, it's part of the head shed, by the way, leadership that yeah. will agree with you. It's just, yeah. the, it, 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 it's not as close, you know, circuit as people think, you know? So the right way would have been, hey, I'm just going to go and bring this up to people that, you know, agree. And instead- and go to Congress. Yeah, or whatever, to, you know. But, I went to uh, Chuck Grassley's office. And they didn't just ask me about that. They're like, what else is going on there at the border? So I said, <laughs> okay, well, here's the reality. And I went into, the, and you can go online and find my letters. Yeah. Well, the information that uh, Senator Grassley used to put the director of the FBI and everybody else on the carpet. Cause I said, here's the reality. Cause this is back when Syria was really getting, you know, we were concerned about people coming across the border from Syria and everybody else. I'm like, well, here's how you vet them. This is how you should vet them. This is how you should uh, do interview and interrogation. And I came with a whole laundry list of, of things, how we could fix the border in that area. And he mm-hmm. actually ran with it. And he said to the FBI, why aren't you doing this? 
How can we not coordinate with these people, with the agency, ODNI, and everybody else? I was like, eh, things can happen if you do it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I think the governments, it just gets sometimes stuck. Yeah. And it, and then that, when it gets stuck, and if you've just got these GSs, right? GS7, GF, GS8, everyone's just looking out for their own careers. Yeah. And they don't make any big moves to change anything. Well, then all of a sudden, you're that, that part of the government will be stuck for decades. Yeah. <laughs> like time just goes by because ultimately everyone's just kind of sitting looking out for their own careers and not for the greater good. You remember really that easy. E7, that E7 or E8 that you see out at the company picnic and he's still wearing like the, the thigh high, um, what do you call it? Socks and his, his outfits <laughs> from like the 1980s. Yeah, Cause he yeah. never got out of it. That's right. like the federal government. They're, yeah. they're stuck in this one generation and these people keep moving up in the ranks, but they've never, they've got out yeah. of it. Yeah. They're no still wearing no those thigh high socks. Yeah. I always have to remind people like it's the government hires the lowest bidder yeah. when it comes to everything. So you can't expect it to be like this, this well oiled perfect machine. And once you realize that, then it's like, oh, okay. No, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, good stuff, man. So I'm looking at the time and we got to get into your little uh, survival scenario. Yeah, I'm scared, man. This is like the choose your own adventures. It is a little bit, yeah. I like so, it. So, uh, you know, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. We will be right back after the break. Okay, let's do it. Here we go. Your hypothetical survival scenario. So, for this scenario, you are returning home from a short vacation. You stop at the grocery store on the outskirts of town for a snack, for a rest, you know, before you start driving home. You are at least an hour from home, okay? As you kind of peruse the aisles, thinking, hmm, what do I want? Kit Kats? Or should I stay healthy and get a little, uh, those little vegetable, whatever, the carrot little packets with some ranch? Hmm. Gunshots ring out. Bang, bang, bang. People scream. Chaos ensues. And now there's an active shooter situation in the store. Okay? So first question. Do you A, stay low, zigzag to cover before assessing where the threat is coming from? Or B, stay in your position and just determine where the shots are coming from? I would zigzag, find out where the shots are coming because you always got to run, you know, hey, you got to run towards the danger. That's right. And it goes back yeah. to basic soldiering skills, right? Yeah. You hear gunshots, you basically just drop to the deck and hope someone calls, contact left, contact right, mm -hmm. you know? So same thing applies, like take cover and then, okay, now where the hell is that? You know, yep. where did it come from? Okay, good job. You are starting out with an A, an A plus. Oh, All right. So yeah, don't freeze, but you and certainly get off the X. Staying low to the ground and finding cover gives you better chances of survival than freezing where you're at and looking around for the bad guy. So you stay low, you get moving. Next, do you, A, get behind a large rack of food in order to hide from the shooter, or B, stay low and zigzag over to one of those freestanding meat coolers? Oh, meat cooler. Right, and why? That I meat. know you know the answer. Well, that meat's going to stop that, some of the bullets. Right, cover yeah. versus concealment. Mm-hmm. 
So for you listeners, once again, if you can choose cover over concealment, you should. Now, that doesn't mean you're always going to have it right there readily available. No, that's why you use concealment in order to get to cover. But if cover is closer, then take cover. And reminder, you know, you guys have already heard this a thousand times, but cover is anything that stops bullets. Okay, concealment just hides you, but bullets will fly right through it. Okay. Oh, yeah. And I like to compare it to vehicles. You're out in a parking lot. You can get behind the engine block or you can get behind the trunk. The trunk is hollow. Bullets pass right through it. So always pick the engine block. All right. So it's kind of the same. When you're walking around a store, look for things that stop bullets. That should be your first choice. Okay. Um, now, you've taken cover behind the freestanding freezer. Gunshots continue. And so does the screaming from other people in the store. Boy, bad situation. Mm-hmm. Do you, A, try to determine where the shots are coming from, or B, just sprint for an exit, which is on the other end of the store? No, you got to find out where the shots are coming from and stop it. That's right. Yes, you hit it right on. Get eyes on the shooter. And just a reminder, shots fired indoors is completely different than shots fired outdoors. Shots fired indoors become omnidirectional. You may not be able to determine the direction of gunfire and trust your ears. You have to end up trusting your eyes, which means take a minute, look, listen, and smell, and just take it all in and try and figure out where the bad guy is. Uh, That's going to do you... um, like it's going to do you better than just trusting your ears by themselves. Okay. So you still can't see the shooter, but you can see injured store patrons near the exit at the front of the store. Okay. So this is about a hundred feet away from you or so the back of the store employees own like the kind of like an employees only section is about 200 feet away where from where you are and is in the other direction. Okay? Making sense? Yeah. Front of the store, you got injured people. It's 100. Back of the store, you don't really see any injuries, nothing really going on yet, but it's further, 200. Okay? You are also right next to the butcher and meat section. Okay? So do you, A, keep low, sneak into the butcher area and stock up on whatever weapons you can while you can, or B, just sprint to one of the store exits. Well, I'm going to assume that this is when I'm rucking and I don't have my gun with me. So (laughs) (laughs) I will grab a weapon that I can and then head towards wherever the injured bodies are because typically whoever's doing the shooting is going to be around that area and then find out where the shooter is and then see if I can do anything or if I can at least help the people that are injured. Look at you jumping ahead. Come on. Stop trying to be a, you're trying to be an honor, (laughs) the honor grad. Okay. Yes. Sprinting towards any of the exits, I think is obvious. You, you don't know what you're sprinting into, so it doesn't really actually make any sense. And, uh, with injured patrons at the front, it's kind of obvious. That's maybe where the shooter is kind of hanging out. Right. Um, you know, we had this Buffalo shooting in a grocery store recently, right? Horrible. Right. That was fucking horrible. I don't know if you saw the video of that thing. That was crazy. Um, Anyway, you know, just that alone tells you that where the shots are fired and where the bodies are falling, you want to avoid that area at all costs, right? Um, And this is a good time to talk about something that I try to bring up on a regular basis to give people a reason to fight. 
Out of all the active shootings, only one of them has put on put EarPro on. It was the Walmart shooting. Um, he put he actually put EarPro on as he walked in, right, a couple of years ago. Everyone else, they don't bother. So that's kind of like a difference of how they view their own life. If I'm putting EarPro in, I probably don't plan on dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas all these other cats, they don't care, right? They got their gun. They got their magazines, they got their body armor now, and they're just rolling in. And they don't give a shit about their ears, their eyes, nothing. They're not taking any precautions. Um, Which gives you, as a person in that grocery store, an advantage. right? As soon as that guy pulls the trigger, that first gunshot, I guarantee you, his ears are ringing. He's not going to hear you running up from behind him to tackle his ass and beat the shit out of him. He's not going to hear you flank him. Because guess what? He's got tunnel vision. He's looking front side focus, and he is concentrating on what he's shooting. So don't think for a second because a shooter has a gun and you don't that somehow you're at a disadvantage. You're not. Okay? He's deaf, and he's borderline blind, and you should take advantage of that. Okay? That's just a little sidebar. Okay. Um, so you sneak behind the butcher's counter, and you grab a couple of butcher's knives. Right? Hells, yeah. You're fucking Rambo now. And uh, so next, do you A, make your way to the front exit, which is only 100 feet away because you're going to chop some bad guys up, or B, make your way to the rear exit, which is about 200 feet away and is a little safer for you to make some tactical decisions? Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, I have a knife, I have a weapon, and I don't think I'd be able to live with myself if I just took off. You know, yeah. so I'd have to go towards, you know, the front go towards gunfire. Entry. You have to go towards the gunfire, even if it's just to, you know, drag people, direct them, get them out of there and then try to find some way you can get a tactical advantage. And and like you said, they're going to be deaf, dumb and blind and take them out. Do what you got to gotcha. do. Gotcha. I like it. Um, for those of you average folks, we're going to say, get your weapons, arm yourself and head towards the exit to the rear, only because if you're not a capable person like Jason or myself, I want you to live. I want you to get out of there, call the authorities, you know, take cover. I want you to live. I want you to survive the situation. If you are, you know, an alpha male of fighting age, then yeah, you should grab that knife and you should figure out a way to tactically navigate and take the bad guy and hopefully take him without him ever seeing you. So could you go out the back exit that's 200 feet away, circle around to the front, and now come in behind him? Hell yeah. Or you could do what Jason said, and you can roll right in and try and sneak up on him uh, from the direction he's coming. Uh, There is no right or wrong answer with a lot of this stuff. I mean, because the situation dictates, and it's it's a very dynamic... Uh, high stress, zero time situation. Um, but like I've always said, you know, if you're thinking through these scenarios when you have plenty of time and zero stress, then it's allowing you to make decisions now while things are peaceful and quiet. There's no gunshots. So that when, if this happens to you, you've already made the hard decisions. You already know what you're going to do. And that's but really the goal. I do want to echo off of that. That's. So this, I'm going to tell a little war story. It's not even really a war story, but I used to always work in dope in San Diego. You never know who you're going to run into. 
So I'd, I had a really decent dope case. I was 48 keys of coke. Uh, defendant was going to trial. I was testifying the next day. There was a dirty customs inspector involved with this case. So obviously they knew where I lived. So I always visualized in my mind, I used to have a USP 40. I used to always keep that tucked, this before kids. Tucked to my mattress, underneath the bed was a shotgun. I'm sleeping, all of a sudden the back door whips open, the alarm goes off and I'm like, holy fuck. I go off the bed, I grab the pistol, give the shotgun to my wife and I just start going boom, 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 clearing the house. Uh, find out the back door the wind blew it open mm. and i was like thank god but i because you visualize these things when things happen you automatically mm. know what to do yeah so i always tell people mike boom always do that the other the other thing it wasn't going my dog wasn't going completely crazy uh, she was in a uh, cage yeah. Uh, yeah that's the other yeah. thing you have to visualize i tell people that all the time visualize that's right you got to like start thinking through these things. It used to be the wrong place at the wrong time. And now I've coined it over and over again. It's any place at any time these days. And so you've got to think through these scenarios everywhere you stand, everywhere you drive, and you'll be better for it. Um, okay. So you make your way to the rear. Okay. Rolling with the scenario. And uh, you get to the rear. It appears to be clear. So keep in mind, it's you know we're we're used to these lone wolf type shootings, but the reality is it could be, you know, like the DC sniper scenario. It was a a father son. There's more than one, you know. So there could be another guy, the backside of the store. You just never know. So even though it's further away, you choose to go that route because it's less dangerous. Um, and moving from cover to cover, you head to the rear exit. You pass through the rear employee-only area, and you find yourself at the rear exit. Do you A, exit quickly and run, or B, slowly crack that rear door, peeking out to make sure the coast is clear? No, I'd crack it out. That's I'd crack and take a look out. That's right. Because that's the other thing. Like With a lot of the, like these movie theaters and stuff like that, pull the alarm, do something. They're trying to funnel people. And it's just like we talked about with the border. Yeah. If you're trying to kill as many people as possible, you're going to want to funnel that traffic. That's I'm, right. saying, I'm not saying that with the border, but I'm just saying like you're going to want to funnel traffic. Same thing with these active shooters, man. <laughs> yeah. What are you? What are you saying? What are you talking about shooting man? all these people at the border? <laughs> Don't make that a soundbite. Don't make that. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, I get what you're saying though. Um, yeah. So yeah, the guy. You know, you crack the door. Okay. So getting back into the scenario, you crack the door only slightly. You peek out, and you see about 10 feet away a guy with a shotgun with his back turned to you, okay? And the guy with the shotgun turned towards the door you are looking out of, okay? So do you, A, kind of slowly shut that door and take cover behind a stack of boxes? Or B, charge forward with your knife <laughs> at this uh, guy with a shotgun that's actually pointed in your direction yeah i'm not gonna charge towards a shotgun <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the whole hero scenario just failed okay yeah um yes rushing him while he's facing you and taking that risk no it's not worth it so you pull the door shut you take concealment behind the stack and the gunman um now the gunman he shoots through the door um and his shot with his shotgun and then kicks the door open and he enters the room now he scans the room 
his back is to you and you're only a couple of feet away behind those boxes so do you a escape out the door that he just came in or b attack from the behind and neutralize using your butcher knife Oh, attack from behind. <laughs> yeah, That's, see? I've, I've been read, building you up for that opportunity. I've, I've read the Hunter Deadly Skills. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I don't know if it's That's like Marcus right. Torgerson or someone. Someone yeah, did something yeah. good. I'm going to get it right on there. That's right. You're going to go after this guy. you got the opportunity. You've got the advantage. You've got the skill set. Put it all together, and it's a winning formula. But all you got to do is add aggression, right? Add yeah. aggression. When you flip the switch and you decide you're going to do something like this, you know, you've got to be just controlled freaking violence and uh, don't get hung up in it. You know, definitely don't let your cleaver get stuck in a bone. All right. Just get it in and get it out and keep on going. Um, and so you uh, you use your knife and you put him down. Now you have his shotgun. Hell yeah, I got a shotgun. It's like it's like you know it's like these popular games these days. You're just collecting all these cool toys along the way. Uh, okay, so do you a take the shotgun with you and exit through the back door, or b go back into the store and find the other shooter, then use the shotgun to neutralize the threat? I'm going to go with find the other suspect and neutralize him. <laughs> well, we know the shotgun works. He just blasted through the door, so that's right. See if he's got yeah. some extra ammo on him. Eh, you know. I okay. just did a. I just did one of those competition shootings over the weekend with a shotgun. I'm ready to go. Boom. So you're ready. Yes, I think you know. Obviously, either option is good for if you don't have the capability, skill set, or the aggression. Then, of course, take the shotgun and exit out the back. Um, you know, if you do, then yeah, go for it. You know, we need more people to find the courage to take these guys down. Um, so, for the scenario, last question. Um, do you go so if you were to go out the back do you go straight out the back and head towards safety somewhere behind the building getting the hell out of there and never looking back or you know if you were to go out the back door do you circle back around like i'd kind of hinted to earlier through the front assess the situation call the cops and uh and give the details and let them come handle it for you what would you what would you advise to the average person which one I would advise going around and being a really good witness. That's it. You know, yeah. and that's the, th- yeah. the same thing with law enforcement. If there's not an active shooter and you come acro- across a situation and you got your, especially if you have your family with you, become a great witness, you know? Yeah. I think but that's if someone's key. pulling the trigger, you got it. You got to do something, man. I mean, that's just different from me than being a regular civilian. But if you're law right. enforcement, you got to, there's no, nah. Well, congratulations, Jason. You have survived this podcast, oh, buddy. Great answers. Man. Great details. Is there anything you would add to some of these scenarios out of your experience in law enforcement that, you know, people should do, think about, um, especially with the current situation with active shooters? Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're new to firearms and you're not used to carrying a firearm, get some training. Mm-hmm. Train, train. Even if you are, you've been carrying one for years train but don't just get a firearm put it on your person and expect to be like you know the hero the savior of the day think through these scenarios dry fire at home get used to pulling that weapon whether it's from a fanny pack whether it's from your appendix if it's in your vehicle remember how to get back out to your vehicle and get back in there and get into the fight Uh, because that one firearm might be the difference between 15 people getting killed 
are none. So, I mean, you got to yeah. think about it that way. But it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are now. So many people are buying firearms. Just get the training and vet your trainers. Yeah, yeah, definitely vet them. And, uh, you know, stay current. You know, it's sustainment training. It's not get training once. It's always train. I think yeah. is yeah. That's what I take away from what you're saying. It's it's real easy to go and go to the range and shoot paper, which is what a lot of people that buy guns focus on. But it's just as important to know how you're drawing that thing. Because uh, trust me, you pull your gun and the holster's still on the end of it. Yeah, that's that's a dead man's gun right there. Um, and that's you don't yep. want to be in that position. <laughs> so, know your equipment. Yes. Your holsters need to have intimate contact with your body and they need to stay there. Just like your weapon needs to have intimate contact with your holster and it needs to stay in the holster when it's holstered. You know, you don't need that thing falling out. Uh, But you also need the reliability in both components to work. Meaning you draw your gun, you have your gun in your hand, your holster is where it's supposed to be, and you can fire. Um, Man. Good stuff. Is there, uh, so, one, one last yeah. thing. Yeah, if yeah. you are a civilian, and yeah. as soon as law enforcement comes and it's clear and safe, identify yourself. If you're law enforcement and law enforcement comes, identify yourself because you don't want to be put down. You don't want blue yeah, on blue. Is, you don't blue Yeah. On so what do you think is the best way for a civilian? Let's say the civi- you don't want the cops thinking that the civilian is the active shooter. Right. Which could yeah. be very easy to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Cop could definitely kill a good Samaritan, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's cause it's such a dynamic situation. So what do you suggest? Is it hands up? I mean, what do you, what do you, what's kind of the, uh, uh, what do you think the hands up is the best thing. Cause hands down by the waist, that's, that equals death. You know what I mean? You're always looking for that. If you're law enforcement, the first thing you're going to look at is the hands. What if I have my, my, if I have my, my pistol, for example, that I'm carrying every day. I just blasted a bunch of bad guys. Here comes mm-hmm. the cops. Pistol in my hand in the air? No. Nah, should I just throw on. that fucking thing away? Yep. I'd place it on the ground. Just get rid of it. And then do that. Yeah. And okay. that's the same thing with law enforcement. One thing I do visualize a lot is if I do get an active shooter situation is in my little fanny pack, I have my creds. Yeah. And with law enforcement creds like me, because I'm fed, I have a little flap that goes over my badge. So I got to make sure when I pull out my badge that I pull that flap over and I'm holding up the badge. Yeah. So they can identify you can't, you can just hold up your wallet and they're gonna be like, what the fuck's up with this guy? But you have to show that badge. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Shit. I'm doing that shit. I'm going to buy a fake badge. What do you think I about that? Got, I got fake badges. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you can get them off Amazon. Sorry, yeah, get a badge. Exactly. Shit. Maybe leave me alone. Um, well, hey, man, it's great having you on here. Where can people buy your books? Where can people listen to your podcast? Give me give me all your stuff. Well, the podcast is like the big thing now. The book's on Amazon. I got Unwavering, A Boy Rages Journey, and then I got uh, Out of the Shadows, A Government Whistleblower or something or the other. Long yeah. title. Uh, both of them are Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And then also the Protectors podcast. And I am also launching, probably by the time this episode comes out, a non-law enforcement type podcast when it's kind of called become the protagonist and it's going to be about <laughs> health and fitness. It's going to nice. be about, you know, just becoming a better person. And, you know, cause with the protectors, it's a lot of it's military law enforcement protector type things. Yeah. I want yeah. one. that's like, you know, become the protagonist, become the better version of yourself. I and like that'd it. be like health, fitness, all sorts of other good stuff. 
love it, man. Doing great things. You're keeping you too, people brother. aware. And, uh, you know, you've already had me on your show a couple of times, so I still owe you one. And uh, I'd love to have you come back. So, But thanks for taking the time out today. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for your service across the board, both uh, in the military and law enforcement. Um, and for everyone out there, like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And we'll see you next time. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.